to the Educause Integrative CIO Podcast. I'm Jack Seuss, Vice President of IT and CIO at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And I'm Cynthia Golden, Associate Provost at the University of Pittsburgh. Each episode, we welcome a guest from in or around higher education technology as we talk about repositioning or reinforcing the role of IT leadership as an integral strategic partner in support of the institutional mission. Hi, everyone. Today, we are joined by Sharon Blanton. Sharon is Vice President for Operations at the College of New Jersey. Sharon, welcome. And could you take a couple minutes and introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, certainly. Thank you. And and thank you for for having me uh, visit with you today. I've been at the College of New Jersey for uh, just over six years. And I started uh, at TCNJ as uh, the vice president and CIO of of the college. And then um, over the course of the last six years, uh, I was invited to take on some some other roles that expanded into what we call uh, the VP for operations uh, at TCNJ. So that includes information technology, campus police services, institutional research and analytics, HR, and campus facilities. So with all of those um, as part of your your portfolio, how long was it from the time you joined TCNJ until you expanded your portfolio? Thinking back, I, I think it was about a year and a half, maybe two years. What, what happened was our president retired and a new president came in and, you know, she had different thoughts about how uh, the, the organizational structure might work best. And um, there was a, another role that had been, uh, or, or somebody else, another VP left. And then they started, we started kind of splitting up some of that person's duties. And um, the first area that I moved into was campus police, which, is, which might be surprising uh, to yeah. you. But, um, but as the CIO, um, I had worked really, really closely with campus police to revamp all of their technology. Um, you know, you know the, the, the whole dispatch area, the uh, systems that they use for record keeping, and security camera system. So I had worked with them really closely and, and had gained a lot of knowledge of that area, but also just really, really deep relationships that, you know, that ended up making sense, you know, for that to continue on and to grow. So Sharon, is there an area that if your president came to you and said, Sharon, I'd like you to take on advancement, student affairs, <laughs> alumni relations, you'd say, whoa, 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 I don't see that in my core competence. Or do you feel that really there's nothing in the higher ed portfolio that you'd be reluctant to take on? I think it matters what kinds of projects you've been doing and what areas you've, you've been working in. So um, as an example, um, HR uh, started to make make sense because we did a, a major HRIS uh, implementation. So again, there was this relationship that had been developed. So Jack, you mentioned advancement, you know, as, as, as an example. So I'd be horrible at advancements, I think, because, you know, I go to bed at nine o'clock <laughs> at night and um, <laughs> I'm not really good at going to events and uh, doing a lot of small talk and asking for money. So I do think there are certain areas that really are not in my core competence area. But 
If you're talking about areas where systems are really important and um, core you know, customer service is very important and building communication structures, you know, those, um, those kinds of areas, um, it, you know, that's, that's where I think I can really bring something to the table. So how did it feel to let go of IT? So I have to tell you, I kind of mourned that um, for several months, maybe even a year. It had been, you know, my identity for, you know, over 30 years. I had been, um, I've been CIO at five institutions across the country. And that was, you know, that's how I grew up. And I grew up in that discipline. And that's where, you know, all of my friends and colleagues and contacts were. And as I started to move into other areas, I didn't have that network, you know, that, that national network, you know, to, to tap into. Although, um, you know, and interestingly, we're starting to see more CIOs move into expanded areas of responsibility. So, so some of us have sought each other out. And we've started communicating and we've really had that, we've actually had that conversation, Jack, about, you know, how hard was it for you to you know, step away from IT a little bit? And what were your, um, what were your struggles in moving, for example, into facilities? So IT versus facilities, completely different cultures. And you have to learn that, you know, you have to, you have to understand that, you know, people operate differently, you know, in these different domains. So you have to be, you know, the kind of person that, you know, that can easily move, you know, among cultures, you know, if you will. So while initially it was really hard for me to let go of IT somewhat, as I started getting more and more involved in the other areas, I just was so darn excited about those areas that over time, my, you know, my, my loss uh, so to speak, of the IT domain became less painful. And, and you somehow found a, a peer group too, of yes. like yourself. Yeah. So Sharon, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, you were, you were saying that um, the more you take on responsibilities outside of IT, the more it puts things like the role of IT into perspective. And could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. You know, in recent years, we've been talking a lot about the integrative you know, CIO. And at, at every point in a CIO's career, uh, you know, I think um, if you're successful in that role, you reach a point where you realize you're not really representing IT uh, so much anymore, but you're representing the college, right? You're the VP of the college you're the, or of the university. And there is sort of a, a natural kind of progression where you start to step away from IT a little bit and look at, at the bigger picture. That is really uh, amplified when you start taking on these other roles and you start to realize that, wow, that project that I was just willing to fall on my sword for uh, five years ago in IT, as I look back, you know, that might not have been the most important thing for the institution you know, at that time. You have to start putting your, yourself in other, you know, in other shoes and really thinking about the institution more broadly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that really helps as you start taking on, you know, some of these other leadership roles. That point that you just made, I think, is really 
critical that um, when you're a vice president, you're a vice president of the institution. Um, you may have an area that you're responsible for, but it really is this institutional context. And especially now, as we've spent the last couple of years in the pandemic, you know, I think of my student affairs colleagues and, you know, they have just been, you know, through the ringer. And so whenever I think of, oh, wow, we've got challenges with this and with that, I think about just, you know, how much they've had to deal with um, and manage through this. And, and it helps, I agree, it is really is important in putting it into perspective that um, there are some people who are dealing with um, just really crisis kinds of situations, often on a week-to-week basis. And so our problems can, you know, while they're important, they aren't necessarily life and death. Absolutely. People are really struggling, and, and we have to recognize that. And we have to think about, you know, whether or not this is the best time to implement a new product. You know, is that just going to inflict, you know, more injury you know, on, on the community, you know, maybe some, you know, some of the IT um, priorities, you know, you, you need to be rethought or re, um, reimagined or, you know, maybe pushed out a, a few months. Again, it's really thinking about the whole, the whole community of your institution. Yeah. And I think that the more that CIOs are working across the university, you really do see the integration, you know, more and more as as you're working more and more across the institution. And I think it matters. The TCNJ, for example, is a very centralized organization for IT. Pretty much everything that happens regarding IT throughout the college comes to central IT. So you have a real advantage there where you, you really get to learn about all of those other areas. Whereas at a larger university, uh, you know, you can have individual IT departments, you know, in the yes. various schools. And the CIO of the university, you know, might not, you know, get that benefit of, you know, of having that regular, you know, contact and connection with other areas. I feel really fortunate, you know, that I happened to be at TCNJ at the, you know, at the right time where you know my skills matched the needs of, of the institution. And you know, I was able to I was able to grow, but I also was able to learn, you know, a, a lot over over these recent years. And uh, I was able to develop new leaders coming, you know, through the ranks. So, you know, I think it's really important as you take on these other roles, you've got to be not just thinking about succession planning, you, you need to be living it. One of the things that I think is definitely in your core competence, but I think it's an element that successful IT leaders have is change management skills. Can you sort of talk as you've been in different institutions, I'm sure you've honed a portfolio of these, but what kind of change management strategies have been useful for you? So we talk about change management. We also talk about change leadership. And, and I see them a, lo- a little bit differently because change management can, can mean something pretty, you know, a little bit more technical and methodical in the IT world. But when you expand that to talk about change leadership at an institutional level, now you're really talking about, again, being able to, to, to step into someone else's shoes and understand 
you know, their, their work life and uh, their workflow and understanding how any kind of change that you're contemplating, how, how that might impact them. And so change leadership is a lot about influence mm-hmm. and persuasion. Right. Trust is another core element of change in doing that. So we often talk about in, in higher ed about digital transformation, mm-hmm. which is kind of a buzzword for change leadership slash change management in some instances, um, but it's probably more change leadership. Have you, from your perspective, and especially now being able to be at a broader level, do you feel that's enabled you to do more with digital transformation at the College of New Jersey? I think it's starting to enable me to do that. You know, one of my core tenets with change leadership is I'm not allowed to implement a change that's going to make things worse for you, right? So I can't implement a change that gives me an efficiency, but makes mm. your workflow fall apart. Or, um, or requires you to hire additional people because it's now so complex, you know, for you that, it, um, that you know, that it doesn't make sense anymore. And I, and so now I think when we have, you know, when we have more of these um, areas coming together under one VP, and it's really kind of a shame that it has to come to this, right? It, you would think that all of these areas would, you know, could just work together to initiate change, but, but, but it seems that it's not until you get these core leaders together and you have some real responsibility and accountability to each other that you can then really implement the kind of change you're talking about, Jack. It's, um, it's something that fascinates me about organizational culture and organizational communication that, um, th- that we can't just as individuals come together and do a better job of, you know, of cooperating and, you know, and initiating change. I would like to come back to something you just said a few minutes ago about succession planning. And, and, you know, having worked with you on various committees over the years, I know that you see developing staff as very important. Um, and an important role that that you play, no matter what your your position is. So, how do you approach succession planning and building the next generation of of leaders? I start by really putting a lot of time into hiring the right people. Too often, I see people make the mistake of just being desperate to fill a position, and they see the process as bureaucratic, and you know it takes too long, and you know and so forth. But it's so important to put that planning into it to really understand, write a good job description that actually makes sense and, um, and actually reflects what you want the person to, you know, to do uh, in, in, in the institution and then take the time to get the right person in that role. Then you have to really spend the right kind of time with that individual and help them really understand the culture of the institution. You don't want them to, you know, step into something that's, um, that's going to be harmful or that's going to set them back, you know, as a, as a leader in an institution. So it's a lot of uh, mentoring. And then I feel really strongly that you should always have the expert in the room, you know, when you're, when you're discussing something, 
So, um, so I like to bring others to, uh, you know, to meetings, to cabinet, to a board meeting, you know, whatever it might be, I'm going to bring the AVP for facilities management to deliver the, um, you know, the asset management plan. You know, it, it, it needs to come from the experts and it, we need for others in the institution to see that person as the expert and as someone who could then step into another role. So it's so important, I think, for them to get that exposure, you know, in, in different settings and in different ways and in, in a consistent manner. Has the pandemic had much of an effect on your strategies for succession planning? There's been a lot of churn in our profession, I know. In IT at, at TCNJ, there has not been. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's been very, very stable. Uh, we did have a lot of churn in facilities management. We had a number of retirements. Almost the entire leadership structure was was just wiped out uh, within a matter of mo- months because of uh, you know retirement opportunities. So we had to really spend. Um, well, it took me um, a little over a year really to you know to start rebuilding that and you know and, and identifying the right people to bring into the institution and it meant providing new opportunities for some people who were already at TCNJ and in other cases it meant uh, bringing expertise in um, from um, from outside of the college mm-hmm. but um, it was it was a lot of work but it was it's really really important foundational work I, I believe mm-hmm. and I you know, I do a lot of um, the, you know, the interviewing and, and running um, searches uh, myself because okay. uh, I just feel so strongly about it, that it's, it's so important to find the right people, get them in the right jobs, and then let them do their thing. That is so important, the advice that you're given, because we all know that the wrong person in a position is almost toxic, you know, and and when you look at some of the literature that Harvard Business has done and others, the the effect that managers and leaders who aren't good leaders can have on teams and groups um, is just something that can really be challenging in an organization. So I think your point about um, spending that extra time is just a critical element that we all have to be thinking about. You know, I can, uh, Jack, I can give you a specific example of something just, just very recently that's very applicable to this. And that's, we, um, I, I, for about, I don't know, four or five years, uh, was uh, making the case that we needed a person that was wholly dedicated to emergency planning. And so we, you know, we finally got that position uh, through and approved and many thought that that position should report uh, into campus police um, and reporting to the captain there uh, because he's, he, he really manages you know, a lot of the emergency management protocol and, and procedures from a police standpoint. But I felt so strongly that this was an important campus-wide, college-wide uh, position that I have it reporting directly to me, at least for, for a while. You know, again, I want to mentor the person and help them get in, you know, really into the, to the, um, the, the culture of the organization and help to really set him up for success. 
And then it may make sense, you know, in a year, you know, perhaps to, to relocate. But, but I think initially it just, uh, it's just really important to put that time in. So you had let us know that, you know, you were initially trained as an instructional designer. Mm-hmm. I find that really interesting because a great instructional designer is used to working with people. You're sort of pulling things out of what needs to be done. And I'm, I'm curious if there are certain elements of that skill and that capability that you think really set you on your path to be um, the leader that you are today. That's what gave me the foundation uh, you know, to, to move forward. So um, I started off um, you know, many years ago studying mass communication and instructional technology at Towson, what was then Towson State University in the, in the 1980s. And um, I really only got into the computing side of things because I was the person, you know, kind of in the room when the computers arrived, right? I, you know, I unboxed them and helped, you know, help faculty, you know, learn how to use them and, you know, set things up. And so I've always been interested in the technologies and how we, how they're used as tools to improve communication, to, um, you know, improve understanding, to, um, to better, you know, workflow. And then I got more into instructional design. And what really spoke to me about that is the process of instructional design. So the, the whole, the systematic design of instruction, right? That's, there, there's, there, there are ways to tease out, as you said, you know, there are ways to tease out the information and really think about, you know, what is the core goal that we are trying to achieve? Identify that first. Then you go back and figure out, well, how do you know that that goal has been demonstrated, right? Then you think about, well, how can you prepare that individual to learn that content so that they can then successfully demonstrate it, right? It's the same thing with, with all technology, really. I mean, it's, it's kind of the same process. To me, going back to the question earlier about change leadership, change leadership and instructional design are very much alike. In, in, in my mind. And so I think uh, instructional design was uh, just a fantastic um, core, you know, foundational training for me. And, and I didn't actually do instructional design for that many years, really. And, but, I, but I always came back to those skills and applied them to, you know, pro, you know program delivery, project management, project selection, tools, you know, rollout, you know, et cetera, because I just, I, I just feel like they're really core skills. I agree. The nature of that work makes instructional designers really good project managers. Yes. Um, I, I see that, that here every day. At my institution, the instructional designers have been in high demand for individual consultations particularly since the pandemic, because the remote teaching sort of opened people's eyes to the way their courses are constructed and, you know, how they want to, to get the material across. And, and you know, the, the suddenly learning objectives have become important. And, you know, so it's been interesting to watch that. It's, a, it's been the same, the same here. We, mm-hmm. uh, we had, we hired um, some 
um, temporary. Actually, we hired one or two new positions, I believe. And then there also were um, some temporary positions to, you know, to really help with, with just this incredible need that you're talking about. And it, it continues to grow. We're doing our end of the year reports. And, you know, as you're pulling the data together, you, you can see um, how, you know, attendance at workshops has gone up and individual consultations have gone up. And um, I, w- I will switch gears just a little bit um, since we're doing this podcast under the auspices of Educause. I just wanted to ask you, Sharon, how have organizations like Educause played a role in your own professional growth and development? Well, you know, Educause in, in particular has been 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 core uh, to me. I mean, that's that's where I made so many connections. That's where I built my network. Um, that's where um, where I also, you know, I I also learned to start thinking more broadly, you know, about the CIO role. You know, that's where I met key people like um, Wayne Brown. You know, and I met him uh, many years ago. It, uh, I think it was shortly after um, he had uh, completed his dissertation and um, he was uh, presenting his uh, CIO in higher ed uh, studies. Mm-hmm. And I became very, very interested in his work and he and I started collaborating. And um, I, you know, I, I so uh, if it hadn't, I think if it hadn't been for that relationship, again, that started at Educause, <laughs> And then developed into this great friendship and working relationship where I started really thinking about how the CIO role can be different from one institution, you know, to another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I became tremendously interested in how we prepare people for the CIO role and started you know, developing and, you know, and teaching courses. And so I, I guess I think of Educause almost like a lifeline. Or it's the phone a friend, right? <laughs> you know, when you <laughs> when you kind of get stuck <laughs> and you're not quite sure what to do, you can always find a friend uh, through Educause. And many times, it's uh, the, the Educause staff and you know, and all of the research and you know, and work they do. And sometimes it's you know, it's other members of Educause, like the Wayne, the Wayne Browns, and the Cynthia's and the Jacks, and and. You know, I could I could give a long list of probably hundreds of, of people that I've collaborated with over the years within Educause, but also regionally. So sometimes it, it takes going to a, you know a national organization like Educause to really get connected to someone in your own backyard, and then you start to develop that you know sort of that regional mm-hmm. uh, uh, set of relationships. But I've had I've had the great fortune of working on, I, I don't even know uh, how many different committees and you know projects you know, over the years for Educause. And every single time I learn something, I meet new people and I learn new perspectives. And it just makes me uh, generally a better person, uh, but it also makes me a better leader you know, for my institution. 